a relationship series because relationships are complicated. Anybody with me? Any have some, anybody in this room have some complicated relationships? Everybody should be like, I think I have one or two or ten or a hundred, right? Um, relationships can be complicated. They can. Uh, there's just complications because whenever you have two human beings, uh, there's going to be two point of views, two worldviews, two uh, different ways of seeing things, and there's complications that come with that. So relationships themselves, relationships in themselves can be complicated and difficult. It, it doesn't need our help to make it more complicated, right? So we're going to talk a little about that for this series of how to keep relationships uh, not complicated. They don't have to be complicated. And so today we're going to talk on the subject of sex, and we're going to talk about relationships and sexuality. And uh, for, for me, uh, this is a very important topic because culturally uh, we're inundated with all these information about, about this topic, right, um, uh, on social media. Uh, and, the, and you go to the, to the, the store and you see it on, everywhere around you all the time, right? Uh, from advertisements to all that, and because our culture uses sex to sell everything. And so Ari talks about it. I think we should in the church also talk about it. It's an important thing. So we're going to talk about that today. Um, C.S. Lewis has this great quote about human history. He says this, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. That is a precise statement when you look back over the history of the world. And if, if you read far enough back, you realize that happened in the very first story in the Garden of Eden, right? It's a, it's a long... Terrible history of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy. And this a lot of times is our struggle in life and in relationships, is we're looking for something other than God or his way to try to bring us happiness. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to talk about that. When we do it the opposite of what God wants us to do, we don't find what we're looking for. Maybe in the, in the immediate we do find something, but in the end we don't. So we're going to talk about um, uh, some, some, some aspects of this in relationships and how to keep them uh, not complicated. Let me read a verse in Romans. This is going to be kind of the context we're going to kind of the scripture we'll use to kind of build the series from. And this is what it says in Romans 1, uh, 2 through 25. Uh, so um, before I jump into this, let me just say this. If you're new to church, or you haven't been to church for a long time, this is your first time, uh, we're going to read some scriptures. And um, if, if this series, it'll, it'll apply to anybody, whether you're a Christian, a Jesus follower or not, it'll apply and help you out in, in life if you'll apply these principles. Um, and in this, in this sense, uh, Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. And so he's encouraged them how to live the faith, and he's talking about culture and how culture can uh, distort and, and mess up things in our lives. And uh, he's, he's, he's trying to help them to see. So he's writing about a culture who understands that there is a God, but they've made their own choices. And so um, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he is what he says. He says they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And when he says worship, that doesn't mean coming into a, to a building and raising our hands and singing songs. Or did. That's an aspect of worship, but that's not what he's referring to. See, the, the idea of worship is, is that uh, whatever you put value on, right, whatever has worth in your life that's above anything else, that's what you worship. So if there's value in your life that's higher than God, then, then you value God or his word, that's the thing that you worship. For some people, that's money. Some people, that's um, popularity, right? It's, 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 uh, some, some people, that, that is pleasure. Um, and we begin to, that's what we elevate in life. That's the most valuable thing. That's the thing we think about the most. That's the thing we spend our, the money on the most, right, our time on. It's an indication of what. So what he's saying is, um, though they knew God, they, they recognized there was a God, they wouldn't worship him or even give him thanks. So they, they pulled him down to a different level, like he, he's not God in their lives. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. They began to invent what God was like, right? And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded in truth about God for a lie. So they chose pleasure over what God wanted to say. And so the series, relationships can be complicated. They don't have to be. And, and what Scripture tells us, if we'll trust God to understand relationships, um, we'll actually have healthy relationships and good relationships and good outcomes. 
doesn't mean they're easy, right? There's still complications to it, but we don't have to make it more complicated. And there's ways that we can figure out how not to make it so complicated. And so today we're going to talk about some lies that, that the enemy and the world introduces in our lives to keep us from God's best, specifically in the area of sexuality, right? Um, so when it comes to relationships, in order for relationships to work, we should let the one who designed them define them. When it comes to relationships, if you want them to work, you should let the one who designed them define them for us. And that's what we're going to do for this series. And what does God define when it comes to relationships? How is he, what is he inviting us into? Whether you're single or married, looking, not looking, right? Whatever, waiting, whatever that is in your, in your relationships. Um, how can you let God define those and help you to be better? Because um, here's the thing with, with, with when it comes to um, especially sexuality, right? When I grew up in a lot of churches back in the day, they, they were afraid to talk about it, right? This, they would even be afraid to say the three-letter word. Like it's, it's, a, it's a bad word, right? So it's like, it's, it's a, it's a, how, how would it go? Um, it's a disgusting thing. It's a, a bad thing. Um, it's not good. Save it for the one you love, right? How does that make sense, right? We're, gonna just, we're not going to talk about it. It's going to be something that's not talked about because it's not good and all that. And we'll save it for somebody you really care about in the future, right? It confuses us, right, more. So we're, we're not going to be that church. We're going to be the church that says, hey, let's talk about this because um, every, we have these messages all the time telling us how, what we should believe when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to life. And, and throughout this, even though the, the main idea will be sex, you can apply these principles to all areas of your life, to money, how we handle money, how we handle relationships, how we, how we think about things. And so when we talk about these lies, it's not just directed to this one thing, although it's, a lot of it is about pleasure. It's also just uh, in life in general, these principles. So let's read the first account in Genesis uh, 3 where Adam and Eve, um, they, they, they were tempted to do something that God told them not to do. And uh, they, they get into this dialogue with the enemy, with Satan, right? And this is what it says. Now, the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? So he introduces these five lies, these five ideas that make Adam and Eve question God's, what God said. And, if, and essentially, they take these steps away from God, these five major steps that lead them away from God. And uh, we'll see the results that they get. So you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the tree in the garden, but God said you must not eat from the fruit in the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. So he says these three things. The first thing is this, like, so you can't eat from any tree, right? He's bringing some, uh, some doubt. He's, he's trying to bring some confusion to this, this, uh, this idea. Um, and he says, um, uh, you're, not gonna, you're not really going to eat, right? So, so God said, Adam and Eve, you're in the garden of Eden. And what's, what's really interesting is... Um, Eden means pleasure and delight, right? So they're, they're in, a, in a place that would be known as where you find pleasure and delight. Uh, you can delight and enjoy life. It's, it's about pleasure and enjoyment. So the Garden of Eden was all about pleasure and enjoyment. So God said you can eat of any tree that you want. Help yourself. Enjoy, enjoy life. Enjoy the fruit of, of this garden. It's amazing. Just don't eat from the one that's in the middle, right? Stay away from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one's reserved for me. Just, just trust me in this. And so Satan comes. And he doesn't point out all of the other good, good, good things that are out there. He points out the one thing and says, did God really say you can't eat that? Right? And she says, well, if we do, we'll, we'll die. And he's like, come on. Is God going to kill you? Like, that sounds like a bad God. Why are you, why are you serving this God? Because that sounds like a horrible He's keeping something good from you. Right? He, he says this, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes, eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave her husband, some to her husband, um, husband, right? That, that's marriage. So God's defining his idea. This is his idea, right? Relationships are his idea. He says, who, who was with her? And he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together 
and made coverings for themselves. Um, you know, so as, as we talk about this, uh, we're going to talk about some steps that lead us away from God. You know, I, I, heard a, I heard a story about this pastor. You know, the, if you keep reading this story more, a few verses later, um, it says that uh, um, they, they realized they were naked, right? So they hid themselves. And the Lord, Lord comes and walks to the garden in the cool of the, of the day to come and hang out with them, right? And it says they were hiding because uh, they, were, they were naked and they were afraid. So I heard a story about this pastor. You know, I don't, I don't do that. We don't do this at church, so don't, don't freak out. I'm not going to do this to you today, right? So you felt one of those connection cards that we talked about. We're just going to send you a letter. We're not going to show up. We're not going to hassle you. Just want to connect. Uh, but this pastor, back in the day, his, his role, one of the things he would do is his church is when they had a guest come to church, they'd fill out one of those cards. He would, he would just show up at the house that day, and then go, he would go visit the people that came to the church to go, go introduce himself and meet them. He goes to the one house, and uh, he, he sees the vehicles there, and he's, he's, he's uh, pretty sure in their home, but nobody answers the door. He knocks and knocks, and nobody answers. So he's all right. So he leaves his business card, and he writes this verse from, from Revelation that says, um, here I stand at the door and knock. If anybody would open up, I would come and eat with them, right? As Jesus talking to, to us, like to open. So he writes this little verse, kind of, kind of trying to be silly, trying to be funny, like, you know, I came to visit you, and I was hoping to hang out, eat some cookies, hang out, whatever, eat some food, and, but nobody answered. So he puts this, this, this business card on the door and leaves, goes, goes, goes home. The next Sunday, um, the, the, the people came, and in, in the buckets that were passed at the end, they put his business card back in it, and they scratched out Revelation, and they put Genesis 3.10, uh, which says, um, I heard you in the garden, uh, but I was naked and afraid, so I hid. <laughs> So I'm not going to show up at your house, and you don't have to, you know, you enjoy your nap this afternoon. I'm not coming over. <laughs> so in, in life, you know, um, when, when it comes to this, God, God, relationships are God's idea. Sex is God's idea. He made, made it for us. It's a, it's a gift. It's something that's, that's, that's really good. If, if we understand how he made it and why he made it, let him define it. So let's talk about these five steps, these five lies that the enemy introduced, these five steps that they walked away from God, these lies that he introduced, and then the, and then the steps that lead us away. So the first step is this. The devil gets us to question God's, God's word, right? So we look at scriptures, and, and the Bible, we have, we have this. They didn't have this. They just had the word that God spoke to them, right? Don't eat of that, the tree of knowledge you need, or you'll die. So we have the Bible. We have the scriptures in our hands that we can actually read. And, and the devil began to make them question, makes us question God's, God's truth, his word. And he, really what he's saying is God's word isn't totally true. Like there's something there that's not really true. And in our culture, it's, it's said this over and over, they, they, they try to disprove uh, this book that's been around for a long time, um, and they begin to say that's you know, culture says it's it's it's, it's old, it's dated. And it really doesn't apply to us. Like we're we progress, we're we're smarter than that. We don't we don't need the wisdom of the past because we're smarter now, and we can do our own thing. That just doesn't apply to us anymore. It's the same thing the enemy was trying to get them to say is, is God's word isn't completely true. You shouldn't trust it. You should do your own thing. But Paul, uh, he writes to some Christians in Thessalonica. He writes a letter. Uh, to them to encourage them about the journey they're on and this is what he says in first thessalonians two thirteen. he says we also thank god continually because when you received the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of men but actually as it is the word of god which is at work in you who believe so he's encouraging them saying hey when we came and talked about the good news talked about jesus talked about what he did on the earth and talked about how god's principles they work you guys received it not just as teachings from humans but from from God, the very words of God. And then he goes on and says, we pray, we, we give thanks because we know that you've, because you've embraced it, now his work the, that, you're, that you're doing, that he's doing in your life is, is producing some good results. And he's pointing out to them, because you accepted, because you believed it, now you're seeing the results that God said is going to do in your life, and, he, and it works in our lives. And so he's encouraging them, saying, um, don't, don't stop. Because here's the, the tendency that we have when it comes to the, to the Bible, when it comes to life, is we tend to think we know more than God. 
And what happens is when, when we believe the lie of the enemy that God's word is not to be trusted or true, we begin to think that we know more than the Bible. We know more than, than God. And we elevate ourselves above Scripture. We elevate ourselves above God. And we actually lower him and what he, what, 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 uh, his, his value in our, in our lives, right? We don't worship him. He's not worshiped. He's not valued like he should be. Uh, Tim Keller, a pastor in New York, he says this. He says, if your God never disagrees with you, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. That is so good. So if you're in conversation about life and how you should live life, and there's not this point where you realize, like, maybe there's a better way to do this, and, and your God, the one you're, you're, you're believing in, does never disagree with you, you're most likely just worshiping yourself. You're worshiping the, what you want life to be. That's not God of Scripture. That's not God of the universe. That's you. And it's the very thing that the enemy tries to get us to, to believe and do is, is God can't be trusted. So if the lie is God's word isn't totally true, here's the truth. The first lie, God's word isn't totally true. The truth is this. God's word confronts us. It's meant to bring us closer to him and bring the best out for our lives, to bring the best of our lives out. Right? So God wants to do a work in our lives. He wants the best for you. And when we trust him, there's things in the Bible that we read that confront us and challenge us. Right? There's things that I read that are very difficult to live out. Like, love your enemy? Like, who does that, right? Like, I don't want to love the person that hates me, that wants to hurt me, right? It's, it's difficult. But Scripture confronts us and says, no, you have to live. If you're going to follow me, you have to live in a different way. You have to approach things differently to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That can be difficult. There's other things throughout Scripture that, that pop up, and sometimes we're like, that doesn't sound right. That sounds dated, right? I should be able to choose to do whatever I want to do. And the truth is you can choose whatever you want to do. That's not the point. It's not to limit your choices. It's to help you understand that the choices you make will end up and lead to something, whether that's good, a good outcome or a negative outcome. There'll be consequences to the choices that we make. And Scripture's trying to warn us of that. When it confronts us, it's not to hold back something good. It's to help us to realize something better, and he wants to lead us to that. So the first step is just to start doubting God and, and doubting that he is best for us. And then the second step is the devil scoffs at the negative consequences of sin. Culture does this too, right? We begin to call things that are bad actually as good. And, and we begin to scoff at the consequences. Like, that's not going to happen. And the lie is this, that, that the choice you're going to make, it's not going to hurt anything. That what you want to do, that's your choice. It's not going to affect anybody. It's not going to hurt anybody. That's, that's a lie. It's a huge lie. Because your choices, they affect me. My choices affect you. Whenever we make a negative choice, we actually bring, uh, we don't make the world better. We make it worse. Every positive thing that I do to become better, the world gets better. And everything that I do that's negative, the world becomes less negative. Why? Because I'm in the world. You're in the world. And it affects, it, it, it affects everybody around us, the people in our, our family. We think it's just my thing. And the enemy will tell you, this is your struggle. That's just your sin. That's just your hang-up. That's your thing. It doesn't hurt anybody else. You know, it hurts a lot of people. And it makes relationships more complicated when you do it your own way. And you scoff. Proverbs 14, 12 says this. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. There's a way that seems right. And our culture tells us, like, this is the way. But in the end, if you go long enough, it always leads in death. Right, it's it's a it's a choice that um, we have to learn to make that choice. So if the the lie is that cho- our choices don't hurt anybody, the truth is this: our passions they need parameters. Your passions need parameters. Um, my my family at our house we have a, a wood burning wood burning stove, and so throughout the winter we'll burn wood. And uh, if if we do it enough, uh, we can save like two to three hundred, uh, $100, hundred dollars just on our electric bill by burning wood. Right, it takes work, and you put it in. Well. If, if I got that same wood that we put in the wood stove and it, that produces heat, and I put it on in, in my living room, like you know, today kids, we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, s'mores. Let's have some s'mores in the living room, right? We put the wood there, we stack it up, and we light the fire. 
Um, how many of you guys think that my house would sustain that? Why not? Because it's made of wood, right? It's made of sheetrock. It's made of things that'll, that'll burn. It's not within the, the right parameters. And when we build a fire in our living room, the whole house is going to be destroyed. You with me? When it comes to sexuality, when it comes to sex, this is the parameters God is saying. If you'll trust me, there's certain parameters. If you'll place your life within these and sexuality within these, it'll actually be, be useful and produce something really good in your life. And if you step outside of this, it'll be the same way that you put a fire in your living room and light a fire. It's going to bring destruction. It's not going to lead to anything good. In Proverbs, if you read when Proverbs, when, when, the, when the, the, the wise uh, Proverbs are being passed down to the next generation, one of the w- things they compare to sex is fire. It's like, why would somebody play with, with coals on their lap, right? Why, they would, can just burn them. It says you have to have some parameters when it comes to this. You don't just share this with everybody. You don't just go out and just, it, it can bring destruction and it can hurt. Uh, Solomon, he's writing to the, to the, to the young men and the young women in, in, this, in the Song of Solomon. And he says this. He says, don't awaken love until the proper time. What he's saying is to the young people, don't let this desire and this, this, this appetite for something that you can't manage and have the right parameters around awaken too soon. Because it will create an appetite in you that you can't satisfy. Because the truth about appetites and pleasure is they'll never be fully, in, uh, fully satisfied and completely satisfied. They'll never be fully and completely satisfied. Because when you have an appetite, you, you begin to eat something and crave something, you want more of it. And it takes more to give you the same um, um, that you got in the beginning, more and more and more, right? So you need to set parameters. So the lie of the enemy is the choices won't hurt you. The truth is, no, passion, passions need parameters. They're, they're a gift that God's given us, but they need parameters. And within that, they produce something really good. Outside of that, they're very, they can be very destructive. So the first step is get, to get God to question God's goodness. The next step is, is to, to believe that God is, um, that, that he's holding something back, right? That we can control our own lives and we move, move on. The third step is this, that the devil actually accuses God of evil. He accuses God of doing the thing that he's trying to do. It's really interesting that that, that happens when, when you have pride in your life. You begin to accuse others of the very things you do. That's not a healthy thing. And he begins to accuse them, right? And he's saying, so, so you know, God wouldn't really kill you, right? Like, man, that, that's, not, that's not the truth. Like, that's not even a loving God. And so the devil, so the lie is this, that righteousness is boring, but sin is fun. Like, righteousness doing God's way, man, that's so boring. Let's live it up. You only live once, let's do whatever you want to do, because sin is fun. Righteousness is boring. And the enemy invites us to, to, to begin to, to, to walk that path. Now, here's what the Bible says about sin. It is fun for a season, a very short season. So when you do sin, when you, do, when you choose your own ways, Adam and Eve, they, they, they enjoy that enjoyment for a short period of time, but then the reality set in. Have you ever um, watched a trailer for a movie, and you saw that trailer, and you're like, I want to see that movie. That looks so awesome. And then you watch the movie, and everybody dies, and it's a, it's a, it's a depressing ending, and you're like, why did I waste two hours of my life? Anybody else ever watch one of those movies? You're like, that was the worst thing in my life. This is, this is the lie the enemy tells you, right? Sin is fun for a season, and he shows you the highlight reel. Man, it's going to be so much pleasure. It's going to be so much partying, so much fun, all so good. What he neglects to tell you is the rest of the story. So we tend to play the highlight reel when it comes to choices, especially negative choices, and we think it's going to be okay. We, we, don't, we neglect to play the whole movie. If you knew the end, end results of that movie, you would, not, you would not go and watch it. You'd be, I'm not going to waste my time on that because I know that it doesn't end the way that's going to be beneficial for anybody or for me. Or it's going to be a waste of my time. But we don't play the whole movie. We only play the highlight reel. And so a lot of times the choices we make are very for the, for the immediate, uh, for what's going to feel good in the moment. And we don't factor in what's going to be produced in that. It, it, takes, it takes time to get there, right? And he says righteousness is boring, but sin is fun. And it is for a short season. 
But once the rest of the movie plays out, it doesn't ever end the way you want it to. Adam and Eve took the apple or took the fruit. I don't know if it was an apple or fruit. And they ate it and they enjoyed it for a moment. But the rest of the movie is they lost all that God had for them. They lost Eden. They lost the very thing they were actually hoping for and wanting because it was there the whole time. They just didn't trust God. Psalm 16 11 says this. You will show, show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. So God shows the path of life, what path to take. And notice what it says. In his presence is fullness of joy. Not just a little bit of joy. It's like the, it's, it's, as much joy as you can experience, that's God. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So God is saying, it's your choice. Adam and Eve, you can choose, right? You, you have free will to do that. People in this room, you have free will to make your choices, do what you want with your bodies, with your, with your relationships, with your time, with your money, all those things. It's your choice. But what is it going to produce in the long run? Play the whole movie, not just the, 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 the clip of it. Uh, see what else takes place. See what else happens in that, in that, in that uh, story that you played out. So if the third lie is that righteousness is boring and that sin is fun, the truth is this. The most loving thing God does is call us out of sin and to keep us away from sin. The most loving thing God does is to actually tell us and warn us of the potentials of what could happen if we go down that path. And that's what he's doing to Adam and Eve. Guys, if you choose this path, it's not going to lead to life. It's going to lead to death. And he says, don't choose that path. Choose, don't, don't, don't choose the path of death. Choose the way, the way of life. Just trust me in this relationship. And so God invites us into this. And the enemy wants to confuse it and say, no, no, like God's keeping something good from you. Why would, why would you not be able to have fun? Culture tells us we should be able to enjoy and have as much fun as we want. So that There's a step that we begin to progress away from God by making these choices to ignore what he's saying, to believe that we know more, right? And then to begin to actually dabble and, and try these things out that God's supposed not to. And the fourth step is this, that the, that the devil advertises sin as beneficial. He appeals to something good within us every time, the pleasure part, right? For, for Adam and Eve, it was the knowledge, like the wisdom. Like, if you eat this, God knows you're going to be wise like him. That's not a bad thing. Like, why, why wouldn't we want to be wise? Why would we want to know more? The thing they neglected is they didn't understand the purpose of that and what God was trying to keep them from. So they stepped in it, and he advertised uh, something that was evil and bad as something that's beneficial, and they bought in. So here's the lie. Your life will be better with, with you leading it yourself. Your life's going to be better if you lead it yourself. Essentially, he's saying, Adam and Eve, you can do God's way, or you know you can do a better way. You do it your own way. You just choose to lead yourself. You'll find better results that way. You can do what you want to do, right? First Corinthians six nineteen through 20 says this. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So Paul's encouraging to remind us, saying, hey, you're, you're not your own. God sacrificed his life so you can have a better life. You can have a better way. Learn to live in such a way that you have parameters in your life, right? You don't just go out and do whatever you want. So the lie is this, your life will be better if you, with you leading it. Your life will be better if you do your own, make your own choices. Forget your parents, forget your authority figures who are trying to help you, right? Just do your own thing. They don't even know what they're talking about. They're old. They're, they don't know what's going on. The truth is this, giving up something now for something better later isn't a sacrifice. It's an investment. Giving up something now, we tend to think is sacrifice and something that's difficult. And investing can be difficult because you're giving up something now for something in the future. But what happens is that you invest into that, you will see the results long term. About 20 years ago, if you and I would have taken some money and invested in Apple stock or Facebook stock, um, we would all be really, really, really rich, right? I've heard people say, man, I had an opportunity to invest in that stock. I should have invested, right? Millions, in some cases, billions of dollars were made off some of those investments. 
If you invest in the right stock at the right time, you could have made a lot of money. In relationships, can I tell you something? You can be millionaires and billionaires when it comes to relationships. How? You sacrifice now and invest now so that you can see the return and the results in the long term. And what happens in society and culture is we, we, we only live for the moment and we spend whatever we have in the moment. See, in high school, I had a lot of friends who said, Eric, why are you saving yourself for marriage? I'm like, that's dumb. I'm like, you have all these people you can be sharing yourself with and sleeping around, do whatever you want to do. Why? Why? That, that's like you're, you're a prude, right? You're, you're, you're missing it. You're missing out on the fun. You're really missing out on something. And at the time, when, when, when I had leaders and people encouraging me, like, Eric, this is one of the areas you got to just trust God, right? Outside of the fireplace, it's going to cause a lot of destruction. But within it, man, there's something beautiful that comes from it. Something really, really, really happens well. Um, and and I, 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 it, was, it was not easy to say no and, and to, to stick with that. But I'm so grateful I followed through and I, and I followed this. Because what happened is in the time I thought it was sacrifice. That's not real sacrifice. Real sacrifice when you have something and you give that away, right, to be able to help others. In the sense of this, you're saying no to something, right, to invest in something else. So it's, it's more, it was more of an investment to the future. At the time, I thought this was the hardest thing. It's a lot of sacrifice. No, no. It was an investment. And I tell you, I'm so grateful. It's like somebody said, Eric, this stock that you're going to be investing in is going to be worth so much in 13, 20, 30 years down the road. Just don't, don't get out of this investment. Just invest in it. And by me saying no to pleasures, saying no to sleeping around, I said yes to something in the future. And I was investing for the future. You know, one of, one of the things that the enemy tries to do at a very, the, probably the youngest age is, is try to introduce pornography and, and this idea of sex to kids at a very young age. Because they don't understand it, right? It's, it's about pleasure. It's about um, what feels good. And in the moment, they don't realize that they're actually playing with fire. It doesn't seem like that, but that's what it produces in our lives. And the Bible says you have to be really intentional with this area of your life, that you're not just, just going in. Because when, when, you, when you do it God's way and you say, you say for the moment, I'm going to trust you, it's an investment for the future. Adam and Eve took that opportunity and said, nah, I'd rather just go eat a burger, right? I'm not going to invest in Apple stocks. I'm going to go eat a burger. And what we do in life when we say no to God's way, we choose not for something that's going to be good in the future. We choose for the immediate now. We choose the highlight and don't realize that down the road, we're actually going to be not better off, but worse off because we didn't invest in the right things. We didn't think about the right things in the right way. And so God, God invites us. You know, for me, I remember at a very young age, um, I had friends and influenced my life that introduced me to pornography. And it was one of those things like, Man, it's not a big deal. Like, and and, and um, it's one of those things the enemy tries to get in front of us and, and to change. And he takes something that's good, and he always just twists it just enough to make us believe something that's not true. And we begin to, to live in such a way that it impacts us and, and it hurts us. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So here's the fifth step, right? So we slowly begin to walk away from God, and we begin to see the results. And the fifth step is this. Now the devil uses sin to create, create shame that destroys our lives, right? It destroys our relationships. The enemy, he uses the very thing that he told us going to be good now to become the thing that binds us and holds us back. Um, if you ever if you ever talk to somebody that is free from... Um, um, an addiction, right? So last week, it was awesome. I, I was, um, at the end of a service, we talked about relationships and friendships and influences. And I'm talking to one of the guys in our church, and he told me he's, he's been um, free from meth addiction for like 15 years, I think almost now. And um, and so we're talking to another guy who I also knew that he was recovering from stuff. And I introduced him like, hey, and, and when, when this man told us of his, how long he's been free from, from meth, 
The other guy, because he knew recovery, he gives him a hug like, I'm so proud of you. That's awesome. And in that moment, I'm like, this is so good. So if, if you ever ask somebody who's, who's had an addiction, right, and they had to come through something, um, one of the lies the enemy always uses is it, it's fun. Just do, do that, do that, do that. But he doesn't play the whole story, right? He doesn't show you the results and the, and the brokenness and the relationships that are hurt. It's just the fun. It's just the pleasure. It's just the moment. But he, but he doesn't. And then what happens is then he uses that very thing to keep us stuck. And to keep us trapped and to keep us away from what is true and what's life. And the devil uses sin to then create uh, our, and destroy our relationships. And this is what he says. Lie is this. It's too late. Run and hide. Now you blew it. Now you messed up. Now run and hide. So this is the good part of the message now, right? So if you're here and you're like, man, geez, this guy's really laying it thick on us. And like, this is, this is hard to hear. Here's the good part. Even when we messed up, even when I've messed up, God is still there to help us to move forward and to lead us on, right? So it's not too late. To run hide. Um, in, in the story, what happens? Adam and Eve, they eat the fruit, and then what happens? Their eyes are open, and they realize they're naked, right? And they're afraid, and they're ashamed, so they hide. Um, Psalms 34 5 says, Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their faces. So those that begin to say, God, I'm going to look to you in your way, something happens. He removes our shame. He helps us to move forward when we address what we need to address and work through what we need to, to work through. So the fifth lie is this it's too late. Just run and hide. And God doesn't love you. You blew it. You messed up. You had too many partners. You had too many decisions that you made. It's too late. You're too far gone. Just just keep going forward. Live in destruction. Live in addiction. Live in whatever it is, right? Whatever the lie is, whatever the pleasure is. Just keep doing it. You're not going to ever change. You're not going to ever be fixed. And God is always saying, no, you don't have to choose that, right? The truth is this. It's not too late. You don't have to run and hide. The truth is that God is waiting to run to you. How do I know that? Because his son, Jesus, he told these stories. In, in Luke, if you read Luke, Luke 15, it's the trilogy of the lost. He tells a story about a, sh- a shepherd who lost a sheep. He had 99, but he lost one. And what does he do? He searches for the lost. He tells a story about a lady who had 10 coins, 10 shekels, and she loses one. And what does she do? She searches her whole house until she finds it. And then she celebrates because she found it. And then he tells a third story, which is now, so in this sense, he's telling these stories. It's kind of like, I'm going to show you the heart of God. I'm going to show you the heart of God. Don't miss the heart of God. And the third story is about a man who had two sons. And one of the sons comes to him and says, Dad, I want my inheritance. Or in other words, he's saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me what's the half of mine so I can go live it up. And the Bible says the dad gives them the inheritance, sure, reluctantly, knowing what's going to take place. And the son takes his inheritance and he leaves off to, to a far off place and he spends his whole inheritance on prostitutes, on partying, living it up, right? For the moment, it's fun. And then as soon as the money's gone, what happens? He's all alone. He's ashamed. He's hiding. And he finds himself in a spot where, where he growing up, it would have been the worst spot he could have been in as a Jewish boy. He's with pigs, feeding them, right, taking care of them. And he's so hungry that he begins to eat their food. And it says that in, in the mud and in the mire, in the middle of his mess, he has this a realization, right, an awareness that, wait, wait. He's like, my dad has all these servants. And my servants... They don't eat the pig's food. They like eat pretty good food. And here I am starving and eating the worst, and I've messed up everything. And because of his shame and his, and his guilt, he's saying, man, I, I, I deserve this. I should be here, right, at some point. So that's how we feel. And it says that at some point he, he realized he came to his, his senses and said, you know what? Maybe I could just go back to my dad, and I'll ask him, Dad, can I be one of your servants? I know I blew it. I know I messed up. But can I just be a servant? And that's the speech that he prepares and he begins to travel back home. And the Bible says that you know what happens when, when he begins to get back 
It says that the father, when the son was far off, the father was looking. And when he spotted his son, you know, he didn't close the door and go and hide and was disappointed. It said that the father ran to his son. And here's the thing you need to know about, about the story of Jesus telling. The father probably had a longer dress on, like a, a, an outfit that kind of looked like a dress, you know, that, that went down. He would have to pick up his, his whatever that's called. I don't know what it's called, right? The, the stuff, the, 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 the material. And he would lift it up, and he would run. You'd have to do that to run. Well, dignified people didn't run. If you run, if you ran, you're not dignified. You should be walking slow and all that. So when he tells a story, he's saying, and, and just get this, the person, the father in the story is not a father, earthly father. It's God. That's the point of the story is God is looking at humanity and our choices like Adam and Eve that said, I'm going to do it my way. And God the Father is looking for us and waiting for us to come back. And not just like the moment that we turn, that, that we have to work hard to get to him, but that he runs to us. He picks up his, his, his clothes and he runs to his son because he's so glad. And he wraps his son up and his son begins to give him the speech like, Dad, I, I sinned against you and against heaven. I don't deserve to be called your son. I'll just be a servant. And the dad cuts him off. You know what he says? Let's have a party. We're going to party because my son who was lost, he's home. My son who chose to do what I wish he wouldn't have done, he's come back home. And it says he gets the best animals and he prepares a feast and they celebrate. And this is the point of it. In heaven, they celebrate. Heaven celebrates every time one of us that's messed up says, God, forgive me. I'm coming home. And heaven celebrates. And the point of this is God is it's not too late. You don't have to run and hide. You don't have to live in your shame. You don't have to live in addictions. You can actually run, choose to walk to God. And the good news is he's going to be running to you as soon as you make that choice to say, I'm coming home. And he runs to us. God is waiting to run to you. So here's what I know. As, as we talk through this message, there's a couple of different perspectives that we'll have, different approaches. The first is this. Some of you in this room, you're going to be defensive, right? You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't know who you are talking about all that stuff because, you know, I can make my own choices. And you're right. I'm not going to put my standard on you. I'm not going to pressure you to make any kind of decisions. It's your choice. My hope in this is not to say, now you messed up or shame on you or, or don't, you know, don't, 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 don't. My, 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 my hope is this. You have a choice to make. And if you'll be wise with this choice when it comes to sexuality, the results will be really, really beneficial. Or you could choose what you want to do and what feels good and for the moment, but the results are not going to play out the way you think they will. In fact, talk to older people that have, played, have, have thought that. They'll tell you. And be, be very wise in this area. So defensiveness is going to pop up. But here's the thing. If you are defensive, defensive today, let me just warn you that that's an area of pride in your life because you're not willing to maybe open up and say, okay, maybe there's some truth here. You know where pride comes from? It's the very thing that caused the enemy to, Satan to fall out of heaven. Pride comes from, from him saying, if you read Isaiah when he fell from heaven, Satan said this, I'm better than God. I will ascend to the heights. I'm going to do this. I will. I will. I will. And his pride is all about our will. I, 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 I. Notice what Jesus prays in Luke twenty-two forty-two. He says this, not my will, but your will be done. Satan says, my will, my will, my will. I will, I will, I will. And Jesus says, your will, your will, your will. Jesus is giving a picture of what it looks like to follow God. We don't let pride get in the way. So if you are defensive, I'll just say, hey, calm down. I'm not going to force you to do anything. But just use wisdom when you make these choices in your relationship. Use wisdom. Don't be defensive. There's the other, other approach would be this remorse. Now, I'd love to talk about this because there's a point in our lives where we've messed up. We've made mistakes, right? Um, and, and, and there's a story in, in the Bible where um, they bring a prostitute to Jesus. 
And their law says if somebody's caught in the act of adultery, you should stone them to death. And the religious people want to trick Jesus and make him force them to kill this woman. And so he says, it's a brilliant story, go read it. And um, essentially he tells them, all right, if you're so good, why don't the first one that has no sin cast the first stone? And it says one by one from oldest to youngest, which shows the older you are, the more wisdom you have and understanding you have, the oldest begin to walk away realizing, I can't throw a stone at this woman because I have sin myself. And it said they all left her. And their accusers went away. And you know what Jesus told her? He says, women, where has your accusers gone? They've all left. And she said, they left. He says, well, I no longer condemn you then either. Go and leave your life of sin and follow me, right? Go and do what's right. And in this, he's saying, even in the act of adultery, even when you're messed up and done the worst things, even when you have, have walked away from God, you've been the son that has, has squandered your father's inheritance, it's not too late. You can come home. Romans, Romans 8, 1 through 2 says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Don't miss that. Those that are in Christ Jesus, I have no condemnation over all of the past mistakes that I've made. It doesn't mean I'm perfect and didn't make mistakes. It means that I dealt with them and I don't have to have shame or I don't have to have any guilt over them because I've said, God, I've messed up. Forgive me. And he came and he met me and said, Eric, that's the past. Let's move forward. And I have freedom from those things because I've dealt with them and asked God to help me. And then when I mess up in the future, it's the same thing. I come to him. I don't hide. I say, God, I messed up. And we deal with it. We let it be in the past and we move forward. And he's saying there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. When you go all in, he's saying, man, we're leaving the past behind. It's like the woman caught in adultery saying there's no condemnation. Choose what's right now. Don't stay there. Choose to move forward. And he says because of this, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. See, the enemy told Adam and Eve to, to choose wrong, and it got them addicted. It got them stuck. The power of sin captured them, and they were trapped. So they hid, and they sat in their shame. And God is saying to break that, you have to move forward. So you can be defensive. You can have some remorse. And begin, that's the, that's the first part of it, realizing hey, I've done something wrong. But don't stay stuck. Don't let that just keep you, right, the guilt and the shame there. The third step would be this. This is what I hope for those that have made decisions to do is repentance. This would be the best option you can make when you've done wrong. When you've taken the fruit that God said not to eat and you've, and you've done it. He says, now let's move forward. God brings redemption and healing. Even people that have really horrible relationships in the past, even people that have made wrong decisions, God can still restore and heal and give them great marriages and great relationships and great families. Why? Because God's in the business of taking our ashes and making something beautiful out of them. So today, if you're here and you have a lot of history and past that have, that have that have brought destruction and hurt, the good news is God can take that and still make something beautiful out of it if you'll trust him. The tendency, though, is we don't address it, and we only live in it more, and we continue in it, and it only complicates things more and more. Repentance. Uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10 says this, God, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow, it only brings death. It's not just about being sorry for what you've done, right? It's about dressing it and moving forward. God, forgive me. Let's move forward. Because here's the truth about repentance, all right? Repentance is the moment of pain. It is. It takes a moment to realize, like, okay, I messed up. But, the, but unrepentant, being unrepentant is a lifetime of pain. You can choose a moment of pain, or you can choose staying stuck in a life of being unrepentant, and you live in a lifetime of pain, and you never deal with it. The reason I love the gospel is because Jesus is saying, let's deal with the past so we can move into the future. You've messed up. You're human. Everybody's messed up. I've messed up. We've all sinned. It makes us human. 
What you do now from this point forward is what makes the difference in your life. And for some of you young people, as I talked about this, the choices you make now will have an impact in the future. This is one of those areas that you want to just say, God, I'm going to trust you. I want to have healthy relationships. I'm going to trust you now so that I can have a healthy relationship in the future. And for those that messed up, it's not too late to say, you know what, I need to set some boundaries. I need to set some standards in my life that are going to keep me, keep the fire in the fireplace, not everywhere else. I'm going to trust you, God. I'm going to save it for that, that environment, that moment. I'm going to put parameters. So if you begin to say, I'm going to repent from the past, I'm going to move forward, right? Repentance just means that you're turning away from what doesn't work. You're returning to God. Repentance means a change of heart, a change of attitude, and a change of direction. So if something changes and you realize it's not leading me the right way, I need to think differently, I need to begin to walk in a different direction. I need to walk towards God. Uh, so today as we end our service, I want to give an opportunity for those in this room that, you know, as we talk through this, um, this, this message, um, if you'll grab it when it comes to relationships in this series, It'll help you to have uh, relationships that are healthy, not unhealthy. But if you follow the world's ways that just is popular, like just go with the flow, do whatever you want, it's not going to produce what you want. Sounds fun. The highlight's nice. But the whole movie, the whole story, it doesn't end the way you think it is. It will end. Today, as we end our service, I want to give an opportunity for those in this room that say, you know what? I'm ready to acknowledge that my past has not been perfect, that I've messed up, maybe specifically in this area of sex, and you're saying, or, or pornography or sex, you're saying, God, I want to leave that behind. I want to move forward with freedom. And you're here today. I would just encourage you and challenge you. Make today the day that you say, God, forgive me. I'm going to move forward. And I invite you to lead me on this journey. Do me a favor. Close your eyes and bow your head today as we end our service. And if you're here in this room, as I talk to this, you're here and you're ready to say, and I want to give my life to Christ. I want to follow his lead. I want to trust him and his word and what he's saying more than I trust myself, more than what culture says. I've seen both ways. People live their own way, do their own thing, the outcomes, and people will say, I'm going to trust God. Trusting God isn't always easy in the short run because it takes work, but in the long run, it's always so beneficial and so awesome. Doing your own way or the easy way, it's fun for a second, but in the long run, it is not beneficial. Today, I would just encourage you to say, God, would you, would you, like the sun, I'm coming home, God. I messed up, and I'm coming home. If you're here today and that's you, you'd like to take that step towards Christ, would you do me a favor just lift your hand right there where you're at? I'm not going to call you to the front, but just in your seat. Awesome. I see some hands going up. Anybody else? Yes. So good. God, I turn my life over to you. I invite you in. Anybody else? All right. If you raise your hand, pray this prayer with me. If you're a Jesus follower, would you pray with us so they're not praying alone? Say this. Say, Father God, today I acknowledge and I admit that I've messed up. Forgive me. My mistakes, my sins, of my choices that led me away from you. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us an example of how to live. Thank you for the sacrifice he made on that cross for me. Help me to have healthy relationships. In healthy parameters, I put my trust in you today. I say yes to you. I follow your lead. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, guys, let's do what heaven is doing right now. Let's celebrate, right? When somebody comes home and says, God, I trust you. It says all of heaven celebrates when they see the father running to, to pick up the sons and the daughters that are lost, that come home.
So if you pray that prayer, I just want to say welcome, welcome home.